This is Josh Mills. This is John Mills. Welcome back to another episode of Acquired Tastings. We're excited to have you guys back for this liquor podcast, which we're calling Smoke in a Glass. So this week we're doing liquors that are kind of defined by a smoky characteristic. So dad, what are you doing? I'm doing La Florence, which is an Isla Scott, quite smoky. And then I'm going to be doing the Vita Mezcal from Del Maguey Distillers. So I'm pretty excited. Dad, what are going to be your snacks today with the Lafrange? So today I have some smoked salmon that I smoked myself. We had this several podcasts before, and it seemed to work well. And then I have chocolate truffles. We've had that before, but something new today is lamb. And I think it'll work really well. You know, the Scots like lamb, so I think scotch and lamb will work really well. What are you having, Josh? I have some brisket tacos with some caramelized onions and cooked down yellow bell peppers with goat cheese. I have some sweet palmiers, and then to go with the sweet palmiers, I have a cherry sauce. All right. So, uh, Josh, I remember that I blinded a beer, and I went through my notes very meticulously. How did I do? I think I, I must have nailed it, right? You got close. You got close this, this last time. So this last blind was the Warfesteiner Hefeweiss beer Dunkel. So it's a kind of a German, it was a German beer again from made by Warfesteiner. And it's a wheat beer that's done in a Dunkel style. So that's why you were getting a lot of those oh, nutty, yeah. rich oh, characteristics yeah. to it. Man, it threw me way off because I was getting I was getting that nut brown. Mm-hmm. And that's what I said it was. Yeah, and I could totally see that thinking about it. a lot of Dunkles have that kind of richer, nuttier kind of flavor. So it was a good that was a good guess on it though. Oh, wait a minute. I wasn't guessing. That was I a worked good deduction. Through, I I'd worked through the whole sheet. Yeah, that was a that was <laughs> a great deduction. My knowledge. And I mean working through that sheet the first time, the more and more you taste on that sheet, you'll get used to it and know, okay. Now, this is what these these things mean all together. All right. So, I think, Josh, we'll let you start first. What What's your... Is it really a whiskey? Oh, no. It's what's called a Mezcal. All right. So, this is the... Mez, it's a Mezcal from Del Maguey. It's their Vita Mezcal. It's kind of their entry-level Mezcal. They kind of had it uh, developed with the distiller to be really, really cocktail-friendly and to come in at a lower price point. So It is absolutely crystal clear yes this is a clear a clear liquor uh there's you sure this isn't white lightning i am sure and we're getting the smoke off the fire from the well still? It's, it's kind of funny you say that because you know this is a very ancient ancient liquor that's been been made for you know over 200 years some people say it was even made farther back even before the spaniards came to mexico because this is actually a mexican liquor if you've had tequila you've had I've had tequila. According to some people, you've had the child of Mezcal. The child? Yeah, so Mezcal is kind of considered the ancestor of tequila. This is also, this is an agave spirit as well. Yeah. um, But it's made in a different part of Mexico. So let's, uh. Let's kind of get our first initial thoughts of it, and I'll go into kind of more about Well, I already said it's crystal clear, and I've I've been uh, spinning my glass looking at the legs. Pretty distinct. Not real long, but distinct yeah once once again we're tasting this out of a Glencairn glass today we don't have any of this on ice and we'll kind of talk about that as we move forward but we're just tasting out of the really curvy uh Glencairn glasses this is actually 42 percent alcohol all right so that's kind of why you're seeing some of those slow legs, yeah. slower running legs Whew, smells like smoke you but know that's what we said smoke in a glass yeah so this one you know it's definitely characterized by its smoke on the nose put a little on my tongue i get some some nice sweetness i get that smoke that we're talking about and then i really hadn't tasted the back end yet have you put some on your tongue yet josh no i kind of want to talk about the nose a little bit all right to do that that the smoke's on the nose but i think there's some floral there too yeah you know there's some floridity on it but it also reminds me you know being barbecuers we use uh, like fruit wood yeah. It has a fruity kind of smell to it. Almost like it's cherry. Cherries? Like, uh, Yeah. It's almost like there's some cherry back there. You say back there, and the reason he's saying that is that smoke, it's not overpowering smoke. Mm-mm. No. But that's really the first thing you smell. The second thing that I smell is the alcohol, that 40, what'd you say, 43% alcohol. So you got to kind of dig down in there to find the floral. Yeah, and as you're doing this, fruit. if you're trying it yourself and just being like, gosh, all I can get is the smoke. One of the things you have to teach your brain when you do this is, okay, you recognize that, and then you have to get yourself to stop thinking about that. 
and go to what else is there. You know, I had to do, I had to learn that in wine a lot too. Okay. But yeah, there's definitely like some, there's some like, there's some kind of fruit, like fruit wood back there. So I'm getting maybe some jasmine. You said cherries. Mm-hmm. I can a see jasmine maybe. I can see some of that like high floridity. You get a little swig now. Yeah. What do you got? Smoke. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, for the first taste, you know, it's smoke all the way, but it's not as overpowering or it's not as like a big, um, harsh smoke that I associate with some single malt scotches that are, that are smoky. It's kind of gentle. Like it's prominent. It is definitely all over my mouth and it's what I can taste right now, but it's not overpowering. Like I could, I feel like I could eat something or take another drink and I could still like taste and look for nuances of what's going on. What about you? Okay. Well, I'm still trying. I haven't taken a full sip yet, so I think I'll do that. And then uh, let's see what happens on the back end. Might be a little, there's definitely some sweetness and I need to dissect that. Yeah. It's really clean. You know, like we said, it's a clear liquor, so it's it's really clean smelling. I can see why this is very, very cocktail friendly. So what cocktails would they make with it? Um, you know, it's Mezcal's kind of jumped into a lot of bars recently, taking place of tequilas and some whiskeys in cocktail preparations. So I've seen like a, whis- a Mezcal Old Fashioned, a Mezcal Negroni. Oh, really? Okay. Um, I could even see this being, you know, we talked about a penicillin. I could see this being used in a penicillin. Okay, I'm not familiar with penicillin, Josh. Penicillin. Explain that for our so penicillin and our our listeners. Penicillin is a cocktail that is based on smoky scotch. Oh, okay. Um, and then like lemon juice and a couple other things. But the the driving characteristic of the cocktail is that smoky scotch because I'm gonna have to uh, learn how to make that. Yeah. Well, remember you got accidentally served it once. I did. Yeah, remember when we were at the 1836 Club and you ordered a Blood and Sand and you got that other cocktail? Oh, yeah. That was a penicillin. Okay. We kind of figured that out. But anyway. That's what it was. Okay. But it's, you know, it's characterized by that because the smoke that comes across in scotches and and a little bit in this, for a lot of people can remind them of iodine. Okay. Okay. So that's where where the cocktail kind of gets that penicillin name. All right. Well, I I know you're going to want to talk about how this liquor gets its smoke because they don't have peat right in mexico true or the turf as they call it in scotland right so how does this get its smoke so the way mezcal is made uh, like i said it is an agave based spirit there are actually 30 different wild species of agave that can be used to make mezcal so mezcal is actually what i consider a terroir driven spirit because Depending on the type of agave that's used and the location that it's grown in, you can find nuances and differences between the different mezcals. Um, To kind of wrap it toward tequila, tequila can only be made from blue agave. Oh, okay. That's right. I've heard that. Particular type of agave that can only be made with tequila, and it can only come from, like, I think three different regions in Mexico, mostly Jalisco. That's where a lot of the big boys are. Uh, But when it comes to mezcal... They're internationally recognized since the 90s, since about the mid-90s. Mid, mid uh, okay. So nobody else in the world except Mexico can make mezcal. Oh, okay. It is a protected, a protected spirit internationally, just like we've talked about with bourbon and yeah, champagne. Yeah, yeah, and the champagne region of France. Most of the regions that this is made from in Mexico are actually kind of in the southern part of Mexico. So if you think about Mexico... It kind of looks like a backwards J, so kind of where the bo- like kind of where the curve is down there. That's where a lot of the mezcal is made. Oh, okay. uh, this one's made from Oaxaca, uh, the Oaxaca region, and there's also five other regions where it can be made. But like I said, you know, thirty different species of agave can go into being made for mezcal. So they're blending these different agave together? Is that what they're doing? Well, it depends on it depends on the producer. Yeah, okay. Uh, Delmagay, they are single village mezcal. Okay. Only come from a single village in and actually they they do it all out of the region of Oaxaca. And this one uses kind of the, the most common type of wild agave called espadin. What they do is the agave grows for anywhere between I think 5 to at least I think it's like the minimum is five years when it comes to that. And then they harvest it. They take off all the leaves and they cut out the root and they have what's called the pina left, which is kind of the heart Mm -hmm. of the agave to get the smokiness and to start 
activating the sugars that they need for fermentation, they actually roast them in the ground. They cut, oh, really? They dig a big earthen pit. All right. And in the middle of the pit, they put flaming stones, like hot, hot. Oh, we're, hot, talk, hot we're almost talking a it's, Hawaiian pig it's almo- Yeah, it's, almo- it's a lot like some of that underground cooking. And I think knowing how to do that is kind of where they got this process. Like All I said, right. it's, oh, it's ancient. Uh-huh. Like we're talking 200, yeah. Yeah. 200 plus years old here. So they kind of build this, this cone, big cone of hot rocks out of the fire. Then they take the, the pinas that they've cut in half. They lay them in there and kind of encircle it after they get a whole bunch of pinas in there, cover it with some of the like dried shreds of the agave. And something else to know is in these regions, they actually call agave maguey. So okay. that's, mm-hmm. I've so never heard that. Del maguey is of maguey. Okay. So they're saying that the spirit is from agave. So All right. they take like some of the husks from the, from the maguey's, cover it up, then cover it with dirt. Cover the whole thing with dirt. They ought to just throw a pig in there while they're at it. <laughs> that's, a, that's probably on the other pit. Yeah. But they let it go for multiple days. Oh, really? Uh, this one that we're having, they say that they roast the pinas for three to eight days. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Three to eight days. After that, they take them out and they grind them. Uh, most, a lot of mezcal producers still grind them by horse-drawn big stone mills. Oh, really? Okay. So just the way you would think about, you know, a horse goes around to crush right. wheat to make flour, that's what they're doing with the maguey's. Take that crush mass, put it into a wooden open fermenter, add some water, and then they let it go. All right. And let it naturally ferment. And they can ferment for, you know, up to a month, depending on how long it takes them. Uh, this one that we're drinking, the Vita, says that they go from about eight to 10 days to ferment. Okay. All right. So then they take the big juice that they've got or the mash that they've got and they distill it. Since we're talking Southern Mexico, we're talking very rural. We're talking Mm -hmm. very indigenous people. Mm -hmm. They use either clay or copper stills. All right. And fired by wood. All right. Uh, This one, they, the one we're using the, the family that roasts or that distills this, they use a copper pot. Mm -hmm. They distill it twice and that's legally, it has to be distilled twice. And that gets it to the alcohol level, and then it's bottled. Some sounds people, like a scotch on the double distill. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities there, and so like when it comes to the bottling, they can bottle it as is or jovi, which is young, so mm-hmm. unaged, never touched by oak, like we have here. All right. Some people will actually add fruit to the mezcal, which kind of makes me think of you know like apple pie moonshine. Yeah, those type of okay. things. Okay. Or it can age. They can age in barrels, and you can have reposado or añejo levels of mezcal. But those are where you get really, really expensive. Yeah, I guess Because so. it's a very artisan product. Yeah, it's this not mass-produced at all. Price point on this was pretty reasonable. It was $38 yeah. at our favorite liquor store. And like the stills that these guys are using, the 350-liter stills. Now, that sounds like a lot to us, but when it comes to mass-produced, I'm sure they would laugh at 350 liter still at Lafroid. Right. Like that would just be like, oh, that's our test still. That's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna test. That's what we're gonna test on. So but it's been really cool to learn about Mezcal as I've as I've learned about it. So what have you kind of been tasting as I've been talking about Well I hadn't tasted much. Well just in the in the Mezcal itself. Oh trying to resolve what flavor the fruit or floral is and just haven't been able to do that, Josh. Are you getting a different fruit? You said cherry. Do you get something different? I couldn't really get any farther down than cherry on the palate because I was having a hard time getting past the smoke on the palate. Right. I can understand. I can identify with that. Understand it and identify with it. But it still is presenting like kind of like a sweeter wood. Like there's still definitely the iodineness, the bandaidiness, as I say. Yeah, that is there, right? But it's it's not as prominent as some whiskeys I've had. But it feels like a little bit of a sweeter style wood. Like like I said, like I've talked about before, you know, us being barbecue guys, you know, being around some of that fruit wood, apple wood, wood, cherry wood, peach, pecan, like those type of those type of woods. They have a different smell, and so this tastes more along those lines rather than just like can't like straight up campfire smoke, right? But I would think they would be using mesquite wood to do their fire 
and to heat the rocks up and maybe we'd get some mesquite and I'm not that familiar with mesquite. Mesquite to me has an earthy, I want to say almost dirty connotation and, and not taste, but very earthy and I'm not really getting that. Yeah, and you know, I didn't look it up before, but looking at the woods, none of them I would guess that they use. They use six different types of wood. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, according to their website. But they all look like they're indigenous Mexican woods. Mm. And I don't know if any of them are fruit bearing. Mm. From the names, I can't really tell. But they don't have that like big, harsh Mm-mm. kind of wood that would be like oak or maple or you know those type of things which we're used to burning in campfires or even like hickory i would i wouldn't call this hickory no it's really kind of a gentle and i i totally understand why this is cocktail like so cocktail friendly because the characteristic of the mezcal is there but it's the not, smoke yeah the smoke the lighter smoke that kind of sweet sweetness it's like cocktails with vodka mm-hmm. uh, and unless it's a flavored vodka you could make that cocktail any way you wanted it Right. And I think this would lend itself very much to that. It's just you're catching all that smoke. Yeah. I'm already like really starting to think about the next cocktail episode. What what cocktail am I going to do with this? Because, you know, it's... Many to choose from. I think in a cocktail, it would, in a cocktail, it would just be so nice and delicate and give you that presence of smoke without overpowering. Yeah. Overpowering you. So I just had a pomier with that cherry and then took a little swig... And it really melded together well. And so maybe there is some cherry flavor down in there mm-hmm. in the depths of that within the campfire smoke. That's a good pairing. Yeah, and I had the taco. The taco, I'm going to be honest, it's, it's good. The corn characteristic with it, it kind of plays up with that, that smokiness mm-hmm. that's there and kind of gives you an extra roasty roastiness to the, the brisket. That's in there because the brisket I just I did in a pressure cooker uh-huh. just to make sure I could get it done and get it really shreddy, mm-hmm. so it doesn't have any extra roasty flavors to it. But it kind of really helps, and the the acid from the goat cheese that's on it helps to kind of cut through some of the that burniness of the alcohol and goes quite well with it. I'm gonna get one of these palmiers. Well, I'm sticking still with palmier. You know, the sugar and the cherry work really well and somewhat counteracts the. There's a saltiness to to this mezcal, as well as the smoke and the penicillin, as you called it. Oh, wow. So that really seems to work very well. It's contrast, but mm-hmm. melding together. Yeah, definitely. Like You just tried it? I, just, I, ju- I totally just tried it, and I'm like, I didn't expect it to go this well. Really? Like, I expected the sugar, and I expected the fruit to be, you know, kind of okay with it and you know it would have some effect with the mezcal but that palmier like there's there's so much sugar in it it's so sweet like the palmier doesn't taste sweet anymore mm-hmm. it's really buttery and crispy and a little mm-hmm. like salty in the fruitness of it it's really good mm-hmm. makes me think like a like a s'more or a donut what well so, so i'm thinking about things that are really really sugary right and not like themselves overpowering, but I'm thinking like a glazed donut. Like well, just a simple glazed to, you donut. Said some more, and I'm thinking, you know, you roast that marshmallow over the fire, mm-hmm. the campfire, mm-hmm. and you get that char on the marshmallow. Mm-hmm. I think that would work yeah. real well with the chocolate for the sweetness mm-hmm. with this mezcal. Yeah, and I think, you know, the beef's playing really well with it. Maybe I'm going to go out there and start a fire for <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll take a break and be right back. Come back. I think the beef, but also think the thing that kind of gets the, the taco is that acidity from the goat cheese kind of helps to kind of cut through a little bit of that extra stuff. I'm trying the goat cheese and the brisket taco. Yeah, so these are tacos that I made. They've got little sh- small corn tortillas. I cooked down some onions, some bell pepper, some shredded brisket. Some regular kind of like uh, Colby Jack cheeses on it. And then I topped it with that goat cheese to give it a little extra mm-hmm. acidic bite. And I think, yeah, I'm with you on that. The goat cheese in there does kind of like the pomier. The sweetness of the goat cheese mingles real well with it. It's not a smoky brisket, Mm-mm. but I think that brisket, the meat and the oil greasiness maybe yeah. mm-hmm. goes real well. Yeah. So, so that's, a, that's another good pairing, Josh. Yeah. I just had some of the goat cheese by itself with the mezcal. Goat cheese is very creamy, very coating in your mouth, but still very acidic. I was able to get some more of the nuances of the mezcal because 
the creaminess and the acidity kind of cut down on the smokiness mm-hmm. and was able to tell that there's like some honeysuckle in it. Honeysuckle? Yeah. No, like, I said jasmine. Well, but... I know you said jasmine, but I'm tasting honeysuckle. Like it's that white flower, that high, sweet smell taste that's going on. And I think, you know, jasmine, honeysuckle, those types of things are what 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 is getting there, which is really... I'm getting the jasmine more than the honeysuckle because honeysuckle to me is so, so sweet floral. You can be 300 yards away from honeysuckle and you already start smelling. Mm. So I'm not really getting the distinctness that it's honeysuckle. It could be buried down in there. You're Mm -hmm. right. And I mean, obviously, we remember there's not, these things aren't actually in there. So what's presented to you in your palate. That's exactly right. In your sense memory could be different than what's presenting in mine. That's really good. It is good. Got some more notes? Well, one of the things about Delmagay, like I said, they only make single village mezcals. So when it comes to like mezcal regions or kind of levels of the regions, you have the region, which is like Oaxaca. Yeah. And then you have their, and then you have their, their sub region, which is, you know, another designation. And then you actually have the village on the website. They actually have the name of the distillers, like uh-huh. the families, the family that distills this mezcal. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. They have the name on it and they have it for all of them. They're very connected with Oaxaca and a lot of the traditions. And they're really big in sustainability and not just sustainable farming, but cultural sustainability, making sure that the art, the artistry and the history behind Mezcal is not lost from the people that they make from. Like, they're not trying to push them to, oh, well, why don't we do it this way? Because you can get better, you can produce it faster, mm-hmm. or you can produce, you know, more of it. They're really l- allowing those traditions and those families to stay, continue. Say, no, and, this is the way we've done it for 100 years. So yeah. Never mind. And they're also, you know, big into the community, making sure... You know, they provide scholarships and oh, water, cool. you know, water assistance because right. it's kind of a desert area there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. water can be an issue. So are you saying that maybe 100 miles away or 50 miles away, there's a different village? Mm-hmm. So they have a different mezcal brewery there? Yeah. So, I mean, it could be it could be three minutes down the road, wherever oh, okay. the next designation of village is. Oh, okay. They would not blend them together. Like on the bottle, it, it says... You know, Del Maguey Vida, Del San Luis, San Luis Del Rio. So San Luis Del Rio is the village. Okay. So they're saying that, like, they have it on the bottle what village it's actually from. They even talk about, you know, the, that, like I said, that this is a protected, it's an internationally protected beverage. So they have all that on there. But also in Mexico, there are specific in with the Mexican regulations, there are specific GIs or ge- geographical indication indication that limits what regions. Mm-hmm. A lot of people make mezcal, mm-hmm. but they can't sell it as mezcal. They can only if it's only if it's from one of the seven designated regions that they could call it mezcal. Just oh, like with tequila, you yeah. can only there's only I think three regions from tequila. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of it, but some of that causes. <laughs> A little bit of turmoil because there are people that believe the government shouldn't own the name Mezcal well, okay. because it's so traditional for them. It's been made since some reports I was saying is like before the Spaniards even arrived in Mexico. Okay. Mezcal, <laughs> Mezcal was being made. Yeah. Or it was like soon after that they came and introduced distilling. They were taking this other agave fermented drink that they had and then they were just they were distilling that and making mezcal so it's such a traditional drink from mexico and that's one of the things that they that delmaguey tries to really hold true of and protect it so it's it's really it was really really cool you know the agave is grown at 900 feet elevation so they even talk about (laughs) the elevation that happens so it was really really cool to learn more about the spirit because i usually don't drink mezcal so you don't like the smoke i don't really care i don't really care for the smokiness of it but one like this in a cocktail i would be more apt to drink we're gonna have to figure that out by itself and Uh i'm actually gonna Uh try so and the bottle's beautiful green bottle Mm -hmm. with a view of their aguave field really really a nice bottle it's distinct we'll we'll put it on the website so you can see it and uh I had no trouble finding it yesterday. Yep, it's a very well-known. Just walk into the tequila-type area of the of your liquor store, and you'll spot it if it's there. Yeah, and definitely ask them, because like I said, this is one that's, you know, they developed to be an entry level and for cocktail versatility. 
I want you to smell this now because I just put a couple drops of water in it. Now, we usually don't. Does it smell any different? Yeah, not nearly as smoky. Yeah, so we, me and my dad, have learned that with scotches, if you put water in them, that smoke just intensifies through the roof. And just like the blooming of it is gross and gross. Even for somebody, even for somebody who enjoys smoky whiskeys, <clears throat> okay, okay. you've told me that it's too much. That can like be. It, it gets just too much. And that, like, I just put a couple drops of water in it, and it actually kind of calmed down some of the smoke and let you get into some of those well, seconds. You put some of the campfire out. Well, yeah. Using water. Must have been what happened. Now, are you getting any different uh, florality or fruits? I mean, did that did that change any of that? It does open up to, uh, to for there to be more fruit. Oh, okay. And more florality. But it's at this point, it's like a tree orchard blossom. Oh. So like peach oh. blossom. Okay. Wow. Kind of thing. And it changes the ta- it changed the taste too. So maybe next time I have to try this just on ice. Well, maybe. you have any other questions or anything about I told Escal you before or? we started, one of the things that they do with uh, smoky scotch is they have phenol parts per million. Did you find any kind of relationship on the smoke of this mescal that would tell us parts per million of smoke? No, I didn't see any measurement of the of the phenol level for the mezcal. Maybe it's something because it's newer into the American market. They haven't started tracking it that way. Could be. Or maybe it's just more of an artisan product, and they just don't, to be honest, they may just not have the money to do that. All right. That well, you'd have to, you'd, yeah, you'd have to, undoubtedly varies by family to family, the way right. they are the, yeah, really, it's, it's, it's going to change. They're, who knows what they're going to be. Right. Were you ready for LaFlorence? I'm ready as I'm going to be. It's a good segue. LaFlorence has 45 phenol parts per million. Is that high or low? I don't, what's kind of... So, I can tell you in just a second, that is maybe mid-range. I've got a list here of different smoky scotches, and the first one is at two parts per million. Okay. The last one is at 309. Eight parts <laughs> per million. So La Florence being at forty-five is mostly middle of the road because you know somebody this Odomore Octomore, excuse me, Octomore. I think they have a goal to just make the most smoky scotch in the world. They do. So they have three of them in this list. Octomore six point one is one hundred and sixty-seven. The six point three is two hundred and fifty-eight, and the eight point three is three hundred nine point eight. Throw those out, and and the bottom is two, and the top throwing those out would be a hundred. So okay, so it is. Left right Lawrence would be right in the middle of the road. Okay, I've mentioned. I think uh, Bomar is uh, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I drink it much more often than Laflange, and it's twenty-five parts per million. Okay. What do you get on the nose, Josh? First of all, just in differences of this between between this and the Vita mezcals, you know, this is a like a pale golden color, right? Because it's been it's been oak aged for ten years, right? That's right. And yeah, this is ten. Lafourne's ten. On the nose, it's a completely different kind of smoke. Like I almost don't. I almost want to say that it's not even like it doesn't even smell like smoke. What does it smell like? It smells like iodine. <laughs> that's what it's it smells it smells like iodine like the old ju- school you, yeah you jump down you jump down to uh in my note <laughs> you get a classic iodine dicking plaster cool wood smoke that yeah. we love so it reminded so me so it's, it's a it's a maybe a less distinct smoke they called it cool smoke you said iodine with yours and i was kind of snickering to myself because there's definitely an iodine nose to this one if you're doing this with us you're gonna notice like there is a substantial difference between these two and if when i've had smoky scotches side by side there's not as much of a difference i mean it is so the iodine like the iodine reminded me of times that i've had surgery Oh my. And they, well, they take the iodine, you know, and they rub it on like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to clean. And just that, that has a very, very distinct smell in it. Well, the first thing they do is they say, are you allergic to iodine? <laughs> <laughs> and so they rub it on. I don't know on. what they do if you say yes. <laughs> Who knows? They'll probably have some other cleaner. Um, if you're a doctor or a nurse, feel free to let us know. What <laughs> what happens if, if, right. if, if they're allergic to iodine? What do they use for 
surgery cleaning. Anyway. Now, I also, on the nose, get like a salty sea breeze kind of smell. Are, are you getting any of that? Yeah, it's almost like... Um, and I want to say seaweed. That's what I was going to say. Is It's kind of like seaweed, you know, that when it when it's up on the beach, you know. It's not quite as clean as seaweed. You know, seaweed can have a very clean, oceany smell. Right. Um, but this is kind of... Yeah, it's not that rotted seaweed that's been up. No, no. But it, but it's, uh, it's kind of somewhere in between. You know, it's seaweed. Like it, it, it does kind of remind me of seaweed. There is definitely a good salinity on it after the iodine. Let's take a little sip. And this one has about the same kind of legs, and it's forty-three percent yeah, so alcohol. That's, a, that's exactly the, that's exactly the same. Yeah, as so they're both the same. They do make a barrel strength, which is up in the fifties, and they say the smoke is even greater because. If you remember from a couple discussions back, you make your whiskey and it comes out of the barrel and that they're going to have to cut it. Whether it's bourbon, it can't be over 160, right? but they're going to cut it down to 80 or 90, somewhere in that range. Right. And that's what's happened here. It's like everywhere, you know, most everywhere else. Yeah. Bourbon has a, it can't come off the still higher than 160 proof and then it can't go into the bottle higher than 100 proof. Tried a little taste. I have. Uh-huh. Okay. And Talk it, to us, Josh. I know it you. It tastes dirty. Um, it tastes like dirt, um, moss, like uh, seaside moss because it has the saltiness to it. Um, so we're going to talk in depth about how LaFlorence gets the smoke, but kind of hold off on that a little bit. But the his comment about maybe the dirty, earthy taste might be relative we'll, we'll it's, get there it is very very earthy and now tasting it this like when i taste it i get more of the campfire you know i more get more of the campfire taste and you know retro smell on the palate rather than on the nose and it may just be coming from a like a true smoke smell on that mezcal to this maybe why i was having a hard time finding it on the nose but it's definitely on the palate yeah you know it's very yeah you on the nose, you really don't get it near as much smoke as the mezcal had yeah. straight off the nose. Mm-hmm. But And it's also like, this is punching you in the face, too. Like, this is strong, in-your-face flavor. Mezcal was a little bit, wasn't quite as, like, it was in your face, but it wasn't as strong. And on the palate, you know, it, it's ash, it's moss, it's campfire, it's salt, it's... There's saltine, like a salinity to it. Um, so are you saying they threw some seaweed on the fire? I, maybe. <laughs> or like, you know, sometimes people will cook. Well, you know, sometimes people like cook yeah. fish or yeah, other things right. like wrapped in seaweed. Wrapped in seaweed. Okay. On a campfire. You know, that's, that's it. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of that. Or, you know, sitting on a moss-covered log mm. on the seaside mm. by a campfire. Like, I'm not getting a lot of like fruity, nutty, um, floral um, uh, like honey characteristic, like we did with the other two scotches that we've done. Like this is very, very driven by that earth and that campfire and that smoke. But what I do taste on the palate didn't really get it in the nose because with the nose you're really getting not as much smoke as the mezcal, but heavy smoke on the nose. I'm getting a little bit of vanilla, and I want to say you know got that vanilla ice cream, vanilla bean ice cream. So I'm getting a little bit of that vanilla bean mm-hmm. kind of deep down in there you have to get past the seaweed get past the smoke right get past the iodine but it's there does it in your research on this did did you learn what type of barrels are used they are typical american bourbon barrel they're um, they're bourbon barrel yeah uh-huh. you know after bourbon is it, they've used the barrel. You can't use that barrel again for bourbon. So there is a lot of bourbon barrels that get bought and shipped all over the world. Scotland, Ireland, wherever they're making whiskey that they want to put it into an oak barrel. Mm-hmm. Do you know, does Lafroyne, is it Lafroyne? Uh, Lafroyne. Do they partner with a particular um, distiller in America to get not, their barrels from not that i found in in my research okay because i've heard could be yeah i've heard stories of i think it's johnny walker johnny walker or some there's a i, I can't remember the name of it but there's somebody who's partners they do like a, a barrel lease program so they'll they'll pay for the barrel the like they'll pay for the upfront cost for the barrel then they'll lease the barrel to a bourbon maker for a set price for a set number of years and mm-hmm. the bourbon maker's done with it 
then they're getting that back and then mm-hmm. they can start using it for their whiskey. Oh, okay. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's maybe a smart maker, way. Maybe it's maker's mark that they will have to do the research. I don't know. I haven't done that research. And they may all. not like, they may not have a lease program like that. They may just buy, you know, just say, Hey, we're, we're in the market for X number of barrels. Who can, who can we buy them from? So you get any other flavors? I got a little, I kind of get a little bit of that barrel. Like now knowing that it's American oak. Yeah. Um, there is some like vanilla and even maybe a little coconutiness, hmm. but it's what about spices? Search for it. I don't, I don't get any spices on this. I I'm having a hard time. Yeah, get, especially on the palate, getting past the campfire and getting pa- getting past the salinity. So I get a little, like I said, vanilla. I want to say it's vanilla bean ice cream, but I also get some um, pepper. I don't think. I don't think it's a black pepper. I think it's more of the white pepper, so it's subtle. But I do get some pepper. I can see a peppery quality. So we've got some pairings to go with this. We've got some lamb, some smoked salmon, and some chocolate truffles. The lamb we have is like a uh, lamb ribeye cut. Uh, that's just see- simply seasoned with salt and pepper and then cooked. And it's really, really good. We kept it at the kind of a nice, you know, medium rare. And... It's it's really kind of got that rich, lovely lamb taste, and you know it goes it goes pretty well with the with the whiskey. Some of that that meaty gaminess adds like an extra roasty quality to the to the lamb itself. It doesn't really change the whiskey that much, but it definitely goes well with the whiskey. Well, I'll do that. So you tried the lamb, yeah, and I think with the uh, smoked salmon. You'll get the salt from the salmon and the salt from the whiskey should work well. So you ask, uh, how does it get its smoke? Yeah, talk through the process of kind of how how this is made. They call it turf in Scotland, and what it is is the the bog, the boggy areas have peat moss. They have the old seaweed in this area of Isla. Mm -hmm. They have the old seaweed, and they actually dig it up. And they dig it up in like a one foot by three or four inches by three or four inches. And they dig it up, and they let it dry. And then they actually burn it. Okay. But what La Florence does that's unique is they take their grain... And they have a grain. They put it on the grain floor, mm-hmm. and I I never really figured out exactly how the grain didn't go through the floor because underneath the floor is where they're burning this turf. Okay, so they, so this is kind of after they cook the mash a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. So they, it, this it's is a, drying. It's a yeah. It's a thick thick mash. So it may not. It didn't have as much water in it mm-hmm. as you would. You would cook first, and so then they cook it. They cook it for 15 to 18 hours, and they, excuse me, they don't cook it. They burn the peat turf for 15 to 8 hours, and it permeates up through this floor right. into this grain. And so you really get that, that. That's how you get the smoke. Okay. So. Now, after they do that, it's still pretty damp, and so then they're going to blow hotter dry air across it dry it all out before they actually start making their process and making the whiskey okay so it's kind of part of their malting it sounds like it's kind of more part of their malting process exactly so they'll like kind of crack it and then using the peat moss peat fires they'll actually cook and malt um, the barley yeah you want to cook it enough that that it's it's uh starting to release those sugars yeah and then they take it and they put it on the floor which seems awfully strange. And then they have that peat burning below it, mm-hmm. and that smoke just comes up through it. Wow. And then they dry it out, and then they get in their mash and yeah. get in the boiling. Pretty much a, a regular uh, process from there. The other unique aspect is they have a, a lake that's their own. They own it. It's the water that they use because they're, you know, the seawater, they can't use seawater. Yeah. But I think there may be some peat uh, smokiness that gets into that water just from that yeah. earth that's around this lake. Okay. Yeah, so you so you made mention that this scotch is made on the island of Isla. 
That's right. In Scotland. So it's kind of up in the northwest of Scotland. Is that right? That sounds right. Yeah. Northwest. northwest. Is, yeah. On the Ireland side. Yeah. And so since it's, it's, since it's an island by itself, they don't have a lot of trees in it. And they have this decomposing seaweed and other things, and that makes the bog and the moss. And that's been their... It's been a heating source. Oh, yeah. They, power source on Isla for, you know, probably over thousand, thousands of years. Well, not only Isla, but anywhere that this, this uh, the boggy areas of Scotland that have this peat, they actually use that to burn and to heat their homes with. Okay. So I, I can imagine how smoky their homes are. Yeah. It must just be the natural cologne. Yeah, I guess so. Natural cologne of those of those areas, which is yeah. really, yeah. really cool. And so you, you've made mention that it's, it's double distilled. That's right. Distilled twice, like in like in the mezcal that we talked about. Right. And the barrel strength, the one they have, is around what proof? Yeah, like 57%. Okay, so 114, 116 yeah, proof. Yeah, somewhere in there. And then, so then they cut it to get it down to what they want for the bottle. They actually sell it at that cast strength right. as well, and so it's going to be a lot more smoky mm-hmm. because the way to cut it is with just plain water. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's interesting to know that this is a um, that these are old bourbon barrels. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, what do you think of some of the pairings, Dad? I just tried some salmon. I know it's going to work. But why? How does it work? It does what I did, what I said earlier. You get the saltiness from the salmon. You get the saltiness from La Florence. You get a little smokiness because this is smoked salmon, and the smokiness with La Florence. So they just go together really well. It's not a contrast. It's not meant to be a contrast. It's a like-like pairing. No, so we have a contrast on our table. Why did you pick the chocolate truffle? For the contrast. I think the La Florence is somewhat sweet. We just don't realize it because we're tasting that campfire. Have you tried the... I, I you just, tried the lamb. Yeah, I just did the chocolate and really does cut out some of that extra... Because it's bitter chocolate. Cuts out some of that extraness and kind of leaves the, the peat flavor. Because mm-hmm. it's not a campfire. It's more of a mossy, mm. burning kind of mossy flavor. Mm. Which is good. You know, it kind of adds some of that smokiness into the, the remnants of the chocolate that I'm still tasting. Mm. But I think it's I think it's really good. So was there a particular reason or I know you've traveled in Scotland before, why why you've done chocolate, why you chose chocolate? Have you were there other places that did chocolate in their pairings? Or yes. was this just yes. I'm gonna just yes. give this a try? When we went to Scotland, uh, I don't remember which distillery it was. And your mom's not a real Scotch person to begin with this was not a smoky scotch but we went to one of the distilleries and they had like three different scotches to taste with three different chocolates oh (laughs) your mom loved it so they actually did like a chocolate and whiskey pair they did wow was it was it dalweenie it could have been joss i've just kind of lost track of which one it was (laughs) yeah you did a lot of taste you did a lot of tasting on that five years ago today i was at whiskey experience in Edinburgh, Scotland. That's right. If you haven't done that, if you get a chance to go to Edinburgh, do the whiskey experience. It was a one-on-one for me. Yeah. And what they do, and this is something we all should do more of, is they had little containers, and in the container was an extract onto like a cotton ball. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you're not tasting because it's a cotton ball, but you smell it. And then you're supposed to write down what you're smelling. And it's okay. like sometimes you'd go, you'd smell it, and you go, oh, 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 I, I know what that is. I know what it is. And, <laughs> and you're just going nuts, and you write something down. And then when your tour guide tells you what it was, was like, of course that was honey. <laughs> yeah. There's some, there's some of those, I think they call them tasting kits. Yes. Um, that, that would make sense. That are out there. I know there's some for wine, and there's one that has like 300 different smells in it. Oh, wow. And so you can like test yourself, just learn by that way, but it's like four or $500. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's, it's quite expensive. But for if you want to really hone in on something and you can afford it, it's a great thing to do. One thing that I've read... That would be, you know, 300 different ones would be pretty expensive, wouldn't it? Yeah. One thing that I've read um, in studying this and making that scent memory, which when you hear us like talking through these scents and saying these things, we're having them in our memory and they're being triggered. So to create a lot of those scents, scent memories, you just need to start smelling things. When you're at the grocery store, smell smell a ripe tomato. Say to yourself, this is what a tomato is. Your smell cilantro. This is what cilantro smells like. If you're at home cutting up some fruit, 
smell the fruit. This is what that fruit smells like. Open up your spice cabinet and smell those spices. And just getting more scents in your memory will assist in that process. Yeah, definitely will. To to help you build to build that library that you have and you can go back to later on. Exactly. So uh, I haven't tried the truffle. You said it worked well? I think it did. You should give it a try. All right, I will. So which pairing did you like the best on this scotch? I actually like the lamb the best. The gaminess, I think, went really well. And it highlighted the tastes in the whiskey that I enjoyed uh, over some of the stuff that I didn't really enjoy. Because this Lafroy is not one of my favorite scotch. It's not one of my favorite scotches. Well, we know that. This is one of my not favorite styles of scotch. Right, but I'm but I'm coming to appreciate what what it can do and why people enjoy it. That's right. Um, I don't enjoy that smoky smell, but for other people, it can be really enjoyable. And I I'm finding things that I enjoy with, because of the pairing. So I would think I would have a hard time tasting this scotch that was PPM three hundred and something. Yeah, that would just be i don't know i did a whiskey live in new york city i think it was nine years ago and i had one that was about 80 and it was so over the top for me yeah that it's like okay i've done that one pour it out <laughs> what's next so yeah so that that 300 just would not work yeah i mean but there are people that enjoy those that just the smokier the better and i you know it's just it's not for me so what'd you get on the uh, finish? Um, it was a lingering, it was mostly the smoke, mostly the campfire kind of finish. Everything else was kind of in the beginning of the mid palate, but right at the finish, it, That's just, right. it finished with kind of the camp, campfire-y, smoky kind of smell. Well, is there anything else you want to tell us about your, about your whiskey or your pairings? No, you have any questions about it? I don't. I think it was interesting to see some of the crossovers in where the smoke's coming from, you know, with the, the pinas being you know cook an underground oven with wood you know having that having that kind of sensation and bringing that out from from there you know kind of mirrors the drying of the malt or the barley with with the peat moss to get that extra smoky flavor that was really cool and you know the double distilling but seeing those things were really cool to me um having two different types of liquor driven by the same characteristic i don't think i talked about the history the LaFlorence distillery was established in 1815 so it's it's been there a while by uh donald and alexander johnson so you know in scotland it's like okay what clan are you from well they were from the from the clan donald and so you know they they've been there since 1815 making the same laflorange scotch that's really cool yeah i find it balanced because it's not so over-the-top smoky that you can't get the sweetness right. or the saltiness or maybe even that vanilla bean ice cream that I said I, I had the taste of. Uh-huh. But if it wasn't balanced and it was just campfire, right? I'm not sure I would like it. Yeah, there, there. It does, it does have some other nuanced flavors to it while being driven by that smoke. I can totally, I can see why you would say that's kind of balanced. I'd like to tour it. We never made made it to Isla. I think that would be a good place to go. There's a, lots of other smoky scotches. I mentioned Bomar. That's where Bomar is. I don't know how many others are there. It's a small island, but there's probably seven or eight different ones. I mean, I know you got Lagaluvin. You have Agvar. Yeah. A couple yeah. more. And I think Lagaluvin is probably pretty similar. It is uh, peat-wise, PPM-wise. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, ha- I've had them. I, I would say it's going to be around the same, if not more. Actually, it's 37. Okay, so it's 10 parts per million. Uh, that's kind of the basic smoky scotches, or in that, if you will, like Bomar 25 and then up to 55, yeah. maybe even that 67. But after that, they're too smoky. <laughs> I can I can hear understand that. And cocktail-wise, uh, you know, I, I have a cocktail. We're not doing a cocktail episode for a while, but I know a cocktail that you can use smoky scotch for. What's that? What cocktail? I think it's called Death of a Scotsman. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd have to look up the exact name, but I think that's what it's called. Okay, cool. Anyway, I, I think that's all I have, Josh. All right, well, I think it's time to do some blinding. All right, well, hold on. All right, for the blinding, there's a reminder I'm using the Wine and Spirits Education Trust Level 3 Systematic Approach to Tasting Spirits. All right, are we ready, Dad? I'm ready. All right, so uh, this liquor is clear. Uh, I can see all the way through it. It is a, I'd say it's kind of a deep concentration 
of kind of a gold, some orange and kind of reddy red quality to it. Can't really, no really other observations about the uh, the color. Uh, it smells, smells clean. It smells uh, lightly sweet. It does smell like, and just from the look, it does smell like there's been some barrel aging to it. It smells, smells kind of sweet. Getting floral? No, not really. Okay. Not really any floral. Just kind of focusing on the sweet right now. It's definitely sweet. Got that right. Need a palm air. <laughs> All right, on the taste, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, molasses or dark brown sugar. You know, it's 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 definitely got a sweetness to it. It is actually it's really smooth. Continuing to make my mouth water, but it's not thick like molasses, is it? Mm-mm. It's always like some roasty caramel flavor, some a little bit of nuttiness, very very light florality. You got, um, you got floral on the palate a little bit. It's definitely oak aging. You get some of those warming spices, um, clove, nutmeg, not really any cinnamon. Finish is long. Alcohol is definitely going to be elevated. It's still kind of burning. Feels that way. Definitely got a sweet smell, doesn't it? Yeah, this is definitely driven by like a sweeter, a sweeter taste to it. Higher than average alcohol. Definitely got some oak aging on it. Um, I think this is a rum. I think this is an aged rum. Couldn't tell you if it's a Haitian or uh, Caribbean style rum, but it's definitely been aged for a little while in some oak because it has that good like vanilla, caramel, I get uh, the vanilla, baking, baking flavors yep. to it, and being driven by the sweetness and no real evidence of overly elevated alcohol, or if it just doesn't taste like a whiskey to me. So I think it's a rum. All right, there you have it. There Josh it is, it's a rum. So. You will find out whether I was right or wrong next week. So so I hear next week you're going to have uh, some people come in and help you with a wine podcast. Yeah, so next week's going to be a wine episode. Uh, Dad is going to be out of town. Him and Mom are taking a trip. So what we're going to be doing next week is I'm going to bring be bringing in a couple friends of mine. And we're going to talk about wine travel. Um, I'm going to be bringing in Joe St. Anna, the owner of Crush Wine Bar. And one of our travel companions, uh, Jeff Ford. And we're going to be talking about some of our trips. We'll probably be focusing on uh, our trips to California. And we'll be drinking some wine from Paso Robles or Paso Robles. Those are good wines. Depending on who you ask. Yeah. And be watching the Instagram for exactly what wines those are. Uh, but we'll definitely be drinking some great wine and really just chit-chatting kind of about our journeys into wine, kind of like we did with Maggie. But we're also going to be talking about the trips that we've made because the four, the three of us have been on four different trips. And Joe and Jeff have been on, I think, about eight wine trips. And they hadn't killed each other yet? No, not yet. So all that's right, why I keep going right. back. So uh, it's going to be a great time. I hope you guys come on and listen and enjoy. It's going to be a little bit different. There's not going to be really any pairings going on. We're just oh, going to okay. be talking just, about the trips. Yeah. So um, remember to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, saw some really good reviews. I love to see the nice reviews. People really enjoying sitting down and listening with us. I've had conversations with people that, you know, we may only get one download, but three or four people are sitting together and enjoying the pairings and everything together with yeah, them. That's really cool. That's, that sounds like a party on the market. Yeah, I really I really enjoy really enjoy hearing those stories. Um, feel remember to follow us on Instagram at, at Acquired Tastings. We're on Twitter at Acquired Tasting. We're on Facebook and like we said, find us on your favorite podcast platform. So I'm Josh Mills. And I'm John Mills. And we'll see you next week. Alright, goodbye.